Thanks for listening to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. Our prayer is that today's message will challenge and inspire you to pursue Jesus and to love people to life. Good morning. I'm excited that I get to bring the word to you. Let me just find my place. I found it. Okay. Um, you notice that I'm using my hunk of a Bible, um, and that kind of goes against my generation because we're all about the technology, but something about a physical book, right? I don't know. How many of you guys like physical books? Love physical books. Also, my iPad's dead. Um, okay. All right, so we've been talking about a faith that stands. Right now we're in part three. I'm going to finish off this, the three-part section in the Hebrews. Um, when we think of faith, what comes to mind? Is it something that, that relies on us? Is it something that, that relies on, on God? Is it something that we have only to believe for material things? Does having faith exempt us from troubles? Does having faith lead us into troubles? What is the ultimate goal of faith? What does it mean to have a faith that stands? So as as we dive into this section of of scripture here, I'm hoping that I can answer these questions. So if you will, before we we read, um, if you would bow your heads with me as I pray. Uh, Lord, I just thank you so much for your word and for today. Uh, God, just today is yours. And I just pray over the sermon um, and over, over this word that I feel like you've given me. Lord, I pray that your, your scriptures would come alive to people. Lord, I, I pray that the words that I speak wouldn't be my words, they would be yours. And God, that there would be somebody in here, even if it's just one, that you would impact them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you would, let's turn on our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, starting. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Okay. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were, t- they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It's kind of a 
kind of an encouraging and a hard portion of scripture at the same time. Now, we love the good things that happened, but we don't want the bad things that happened. Right? Well, I think that we can glean maybe three things out of this. First being that faith leads us to victory. Right? In the first part of this, we see that the, the author says, I don't have time, you know what I mean, to discuss all of these people and their exploits and everything that they went through and everything that happened to them. So I'll just list their names, basically. So I listed their names, you know what I mean? But I, I want to take a moment, if, if we can, just to talk about each of these people, just in one or two sentences, um, starting with Gideon. Um, in faith, Gideon delivered Israel out of the hands of Midian with only 300 men out of the original 32,000. And if you read a story, you realize that Gideon um, was put through a number of tests that dwindled his, his 32,000, that number, down to only 300. Right? Barak, in faith, Barak led Israel to victory over the Canaanites who oppressed them for 20 years. At their command, the Canaanites had about 900 iron chariots, were, you know, which were, for the time, probably like ancient tanks. Yeah, so, yeah, picture that. It's great. Um, probably impossible to defeat unless you had your own chariots or bad terrain, I guess, you know, <laughs> trying to get them uphill or something. I don't know. Samson, in faith, Samson killed more Philistines in death than he did in life. Jephthah was known as a mighty warrior. In faith, God gave him victory as he led Israel against the Ammonites who made war with them. David was declared a man after God's own heart and because of his, because of his devotion to God. Right? In, in faith, he was given great victory over his enemies. One of the most notable ones is, is Goliath. Right? We know, how many of you guys know the story of David, David and Goliath? Right? And also, because of his heart to do what pleased the Lord, we see that Jesus came out of the line of David. That's big news. You know, that's, that's huge. Samuel was a prophet and a judge over Israel 20 years after there was no prophetic voice. In faith, he administered justice, and God used him to anoint kings and other things. I wasn't trying to rhyme there. Then we have a group called the prophets here. In faith, the prophets spoke on behalf of God who called his people to obedience. They relayed God's messages. They performed miracles, confirmed those messages. And they ministered to people, testing them as watchmen for moral compromise. So in faith, God led people to do impossible things. Right? Things that were too hard for them or out of their control. How many of you have ever had you know, God lead you to something that was out of your control? Have you guys ever gone through something that was out of your control? You know, everybody should be raising their hand here, right? I feel like breakfast is out of my control. Like, come on, like, you know. So what can we say about these people that were listed here? Were they all perfect? Were they perfect, were they perfect beings and that's the reason that God used them? Were they, were they monsters of the faith? You guys ever heard of that term before, being a monster of the faith? Were they, were they monsters of the faith? So I, I'd like to turn our attention to at least four individuals in, in this list here. 
I want to talk about the type of people they were. All right, starting with Gideon again. When he was called, Gideon himself said he was the weakest of the weak. Right? I'm the, the weakest of the weakest clan, of the weakest of the weakest, basically. He was fearful and he was slow to follow through with, God, with God's command. And near the end of whatever is written about him in Scripture, we find that Gideon actually turns his back on the Lord and leads people to worship false idols. Barak was, was hesitant and only moved when Deborah, who was a prophetess and the judge over Israel at this time, encouraged him to do so. If she hadn't done that, probably he wouldn't have gone through with God's command. Samson, we, we can write stories about everything Samson did wrong. If you've ever, if you've ever looked deep in, into the story of Samson, you, you realize that he did everything wrong. Everything. Samson was dedicated to the Lord as, as a Nazarite. If you know what a Nazarite is, the, the Nazarite vow uh, required that they stay and abstain from um, strong drink, alcohol, and the eating of unclean foods. Well, guess what Samson did? Did all those things, right? Samson did what Samson wanted to do. Samson cared very little for the plans and the purposes of God or his own dedication. And lastly, we have Jephthah, um, who, who made, if you follow his story, made, made a very foolish vow to the Lord that if God would give the, uh, what is it, the Ammonites? Yeah, the, if God would give the Ammonites into his hand, that he would sacrifice the first thing that came out of his house. And we find later in the story that it ends up being his daughter. A foolish vow. So all of these people that were listed here, just four of them, and I'm sure there are way more than that. You know, if you follow any story in, in the entire book of Hebrews um, 11 here, specifically, um, they were flawed in some way. Can we agree? Yeah, flawed. Why did God use them to accomplish victory? Now, I'm going to preface this. Don't crucify me, please. There's a quote here by a man named John Calvin. Not a Calvinist. All right? <laughs> I just want to say it because I really, I really thought that the quote was very profound. Um, so let me, let me just say, in every, he says this. He says, in every saint there is always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may, imba- may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. Each of these people listed above were imperfect people with imperfect faith. Right? They were incomplete, and some of them were downright bad. Here's to you, Samson. See, victory doesn't depend on us. Who does it depend on? That's right. Victory depends on God who says he's going to do what he says he's going to do. If victory depended on us, how many know that we could take credit, right? But no, the glory, who who does the glory belong to? To God. So God used imperfect people for his purposes and then credited to them as having faith. So what, what does that mean for us? How many of you guys like to know how to do things before you do them? How many of my A-type people are here? Not too many. Okay, the same as the first service. For most of us, we, we like to do things that we know how to do. You know, like, um, 
if I were to throw you into a professional sports event that was televised, most of you would like to know how to play sports at first, right? I ashamedly do not know how to play very well. So, again, disc golf is fun. That was free. Uh, for most of us, if we were thrown into a car maintenance position, probably would be a good idea for us to know anything about cars and how they work, right? We, we like to know how things work, or at least we should, you know what I mean, before we get involved in them. I'm not going to go to a dentist to, you know, fix my car, you know, unless they know how to fix a car. Anyway, um, I don't think this is necessarily how God works, right? I said, I said, where we feel we need expertise, ability, or know-how, but we don't, God uses us, right? Where we feel we need to be equipped, but we're not, God uses us. Where we feel we need to be this or, or that, but we're not, God uses us, amen? I, I think, well, why? First, the question, why, why does God use us? And I think it really comes down to, to three things. Number one being belief. Do we actually believe that God is capable of doing what he says he's going to do? Do we? Do we believe that God can do it? Number two, trust. Do we trust that God is with us if he calls us? Number three, action. Are we willing to go when he calls us to go? In your life, God may be leading you to do something you're not comfortable with or that's out of your comfort zone or you know, something that you don't know how to do, something that you maybe feel inadequate for. And I love that you know, Matt was up here talking about how at first he felt inadequate for you know, the, the, the thing that he was going into here. But how many of you know that it doesn't depend on us? We don't have to be adequate in order to be used for the Lord. Because the Lord makes us adequate, right? So maybe you feel like you, there, there's a nudge in your heart to go present the gospel to your neighbor. But you feel like you don't know the words. Maybe you feel like God is leading you in, into missions work, whether that be overseas or, or um, inner city. You know, maybe you feel like God is asking you to start up a podcast to talk about, you know, Christian faith and talk about, you know, how it relates to the world right now. And maybe you feel like God is leading you to volunteer in something that you feel inadequate for. Quick plug for youth ministry. You know, like, I'd love to help, so. Maybe you feel like God is nudging you, you towards ministry in some manner, but you feel like that is so beyond any of your capacity to minister to people? Do you feel like God is leading you to apply for a different job where you can be better suited for his kingdom? Maybe do you feel like God is leading you to abandon a life of sin and to follow him on a deeper level? Do we believe that God is able? Do we trust that he's with us? And are we willing to go when he says move? Um, when I, before I came to youth pastor, I, uh, I think I struggled with the thought of going into ministry. Um, I, I 
honestly didn't feel adequate at all. I still don't feel adequate. Um, I've never been the strongest speaker in the world. And I think a great deal of youth ministry is speaking. So, I mean, that always scared me. And yet, I'm doing it. You know, um, teens scare me. I'm just saying, so... I, lo- I love them though, seriously. But, um, but I, I trust that God has me here for a reason. I believe that God called me to, to speak to teens. I, I trust that he's with me and I, I wanted to move because he asked me to. And I, I'll be honest, that's brought me to levels that I am not comfortable being in. But like looking back, I, there's... I, I just, I see God's hand in so many things. That like, I'm like, I'm thankful that I was brought through even being fearfully, you know, even being fearful at that point of, of what was going to happen. Um, and even now, looking to the future, I'm like, I don't even know what's, I mean, nobody knows what's happening with the pandemic, but still, you know. We're imperfect people with imperfect faith, but God uses us. Right? The next chapter, Hebrews 12, talks about how Jesus is the, is the finisher and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the finisher and perfecter of our faith. Right? Victory comes to us because we trust in God, because uh, he does the impossible, and because we really believe that he does what he says he's going to do. So what is something in your life that maybe God is calling you to do? Do we believe, in one mind, that he's able do we trust that he's going to go with us? Because that's important right there. Many people believe that God is able, but many people don't believe that God is going to be there with them. Do we believe that God is able? Do we believe and trust that God is going to be with us? And number three, um, are we willing to go when he says go? Next point. It's faith that leads to victory. Also, don't be surprised, and this is, this is going to be a heavy one. Don't be surprised if your faith also leads you to suffering. How many know that suffering is as much part of your faith as victory is? The Bible talks about it. I mean, half of this entire section of Scripture talked about all the ways that people were, you know, maimed and killed. You know, like, it's not in good ways either. So I, I want to take some time here just to talk about, and, and again, I know this is going to be heavy, but I want to talk about how the apostles ones that were closest to Jesus, um, and, and some of the things that they went through, how they met their ends. And again, I'll preface this by saying, uh, a lot of this is, well, not a lot, but some of this is contested, you know, so not everybody agrees that all of this happened, um, but most of them agreed that they gave their lives somehow, all right? So Peter crucified upside down. We know that because it's written in Scripture. Andrew, uh, the tradition is that he was crucified on an X-shaped cross. James was executed with a sword. We also know that one because it's in Acts 12. Thomas was pierced with the spears of four soldiers. Philip was cruelly put to death. This next one, I mean, none of them sound good. So Matthew was either burned, stoned, stabbed, or beheaded. So... I mean, I don't want any of those. So, Bartholomew, and this is probably the worst one of all of them, and I won't go into details. Bartholomew was possibly flayed and then beheaded. 
or he was cruelly beaten and then crucified. James, the son of Alphaeus, was reported that he was stoned and clubbed to death. Jude was crucified. Matthias, possibly stoned or death by burning. Simon the Zealot, killed for not sacrificing to a foreign god. Paul, beheaded. And lastly, the only one that we know of that actually survived was John. But he was thrown into a, a vat of burning oil alive and then survived it. And then he was exiled to an island called Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Right? And that's just, that's just the apostles. You know, in the, verses, in the verses that we read beforehand, it talks about other ways that the Old Testament prophets and people uh, were, were tortured and uh, persecuted as well. So you know, number one, torture. They were, they were uh, was a mocking, flogging. They faced chains and imprisonment. Stoning, they're sawn in two. You know, killed with the sword. Went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Wandering in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. How many of you guys want to jump right on board all of this? <laughs> this sounds great, right? I'm sorry, this isn't like a, it's not like a super encouraging portion of scripture here. But I think this is, I think this is important because, because number one, suffering was, was a part of following God. It's a part of faith. It's not all of faith, but it's a part of it. None of of these people, and this is important too, shied away from this suffering. Most of these people faced it head on. Paul said to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is a promise. You will be persecuted. Now, Suffering can come in different forms. In one, we have, we have persecution, which is hostility and ill treatment. Um, and this is how the, the dictionary defines it, especially because of race, religion, or political beliefs. This can include mocking, uh, ridicule, torture, physical violence that doesn't lead to death. It could be the destruction, the destruction of public image or property. It could be being disowned. Second form is, and this is, this is the hardest one probably out of all of them, is, is martyrdom. If nobody knows what martyrdom is, um, it, that is the, the literal giving of your life for your faith. The Bible is full of people who have given their lives, like listed above in that portion of Scripture, for their faith. They are examples of ultimate belief and suffering. And number three, and maybe we don't think about this quite often, um, a form of suffering also is resisting temptation. You know, First um, Peter 4, 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What, what does this mean for us? Right? Suffering as a Christian, and I want you to hear this, suffering as a Christian is a good thing. This isn't something we have to be afraid of. This isn't something that we have to shy away from. But it's something we need to listen to. Because suffering as a Christian is a good thing. We shouldn't be surprised that faith, true faith in Jesus Christ leads to persecution and suffering. Right? Jesus himself promises that we're going to go through it, especially because he went through it. Right? 
Um, I don't have it written on the board here, but I have a portion of Scripture that I just want to go through real quick. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 17. If you guys want to turn there, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 17. I'll give you a moment to get there. All right. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust, I love this part, let those who suffer according to God's will Entrust their souls to a faithful creator and do good. What can we take from this portion of scripture? Number one, fire trials are going to come. Fire trials are going to come. All right, and they're, they're, not, they're not meant to destroy you. They're meant so that your faith is tested and built so that you can endure Number two, we can rejoice while we share in Christ's sufferings. Number three, we are blessed when we are insulted for the name of Christ. I mean, you know that when somebody insults us for following Jesus, it's a blessing. That's a good thing. Right? The, I mean, the, the, the disciples, when they were thrown into prison, what did, they, what did they do? Did they cry? Did they mope? No, what did they do? They rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer for Christ Jesus. Let, let that be our attitude. You know, it's a sign to us that if the world comes against us, we're doing something right. Right? Number four, suffering shouldn't be as a result of sin. That's like, you know, saying the devil is after you for getting a speeding ticket, even though you were going 90 and a 30. Like, <laughs> I'm suffering, man. You know, the devil is after me. I had to pay three hundred dollars to the government. You know. Number five: judgment has to begin at the household of God. Has to. And lastly, number six: we can entrust our souls to God and do good because He is faithful. Amen. See, suffering is is a part of the Christian life. There's no way around it. If you call yourself a Christian or a follower of Christ, you will face some level of suffering. Whether that be through persecution, some of us may face martyrdom, and most of us, hopefully, are facing the resistance of temptation. Right? Now, all of this isn't written so that we fear. This is, this is written to encourage us. This is written to tell us that, like, suffering is not, it's not a bad thing as a Christian. It's, it's a sign that, like, we are sharing in Christ's life. 
I mean, just take a look at the world today. People all over the world are suffering for their faith. There's a lot, I think, and again, I could be wrong. I think I remember reading something that the persecution now is worse than it's ever been. You just take a look at countries like, you know, the, you know like, like even China right now, and persecution's on, on the rise there for the church. You, you take a look at, you know, the, the Middle East where people are killed for their faith all the time. Persecution is on the rise. In America, we're, we're kind of left untouched. And here, it kind of looks more like uh, ridicule. It looks like mocking. It looks like physical violence at times. You know, in America, it looks like the destruction of public image or property. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if martyrdom would be something that happens soon. I wouldn't be. So whether we see victory or we live in suffering, the third point is really important here. We have to realize that faith is fixed on the promise. So none of the people listed in Hebrews 11, you know what I mean? They, none of them received the promise. So they were looking forward to something that, was, that wasn't here and now already. In other words, they had a mind that was set on things above. Okay? This wasn't their home. Right? They had an eternal mindset and not an earthly one. So let's talk about this promise. What, what is the promise? The promise is Jesus Christ. Right? None of them received that promise, but they waited for it. So they, they received many promises from God to which God fulfilled. They gained approval because of their faith, but they did not receive the ultimate promise yet, which was Jesus Christ. Right? And the Bible says here in verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. At the end of everything, they will also attain perfection just as we will. So I'm going I'm to bounce something off you real quick that Pastor Justin talked about uh, a couple of years ago, maybe more than that. And I, I think that for us, it's like we, we think, many, many of us wonder, like, why aren't we seeing all of these signs and wonders here on earth, like the Old Testament prophets did, you know, like, where's the splitting of the sea? Where's the, the fire tornadoes? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, how many of you guys would be cool? They're like, dude, this tornado made a fire, man. Like, what? And it's great. You know, like, how, you know, like, God follows you in a cloud, you know, like, I don't, how many of us are like, we wonder, like, why don't we see stuff like this? And it seems like a fantasy or a fairy tale. But let me, let me tell you that, we have received something far greater than any sea splitting or any fire tornado or any cloud that existed. And that is who? That's Jesus Christ. We have the fulfillment of the promise that was given to them. Right? That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a greater miracle than any sea splitting. He's a greater miracle than any tornado made or fire. He's, a, he's, he's the fulfillment of the promise given to, to us many centuries ago. He's the, he's the greatest miracle you could ever think of. So I'm sure, I'm sure all the Old Testament prophets would probably kill, well, maybe not kill, um, you know, to, to be where we're at right now, to witness a life or new, new life in Jesus Christ. So think about it. The, the, the complete forgiveness of our sins and new life and right relationship with the Lord. I give up seeing any... any see, like splitting for that any day. I mean, it'd be kind of cool to walk by a puddle and see go, 
you know, like. <laughs> what does this mean for us? Are we living like we've received this promise? What does, what does faith that is fixed on the promise look like, right? Is, is, it looks like believing that God is able. It's, it's, you know, it's trusting that he is with us, right? It's being willing to be used by him. Suffering for Jesus through persecution, martyrdom, or the resistance of temptation. It's staying true to our faith no matter what. It's not being swayed to the left or to the right. It's preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Right? Storing up treasures in heaven. It's abiding in Christ. Loving people even when it doesn't benefit us. That's a hard one. Using earthly resources for kingdom building. Amen? Are we setting our minds on things above or are we setting our, thing, our minds on things below here? So I want to challenge us, you, me. Um, let's fix our eyes on Jesus who, who is the finisher and perfecter of their faith who is the fulfillment of this promise that the prophets didn't receive. Amen? So a faith that stands, if can I have the worship team come up, please? A faith that stands sees victory through Christ. It leads to suffering and persecution and fixes its attention on the promise of Jesus Christ. Faith doesn't necessarily mean that we are perfected people, right? How many of you guys are perfect again? How many of you guys are imperfect? Good. It's easier that way. It doesn't mean that we're perfected people because God's history proves that he always uses imperfect people with imperfect faith to do impossible things, right? It doesn't mean that having faith exempts us from troubles. Very real, it leads us usually to having troubles in this world. But how many know this world isn't the best that there is? This isn't our home, this is temporary. What are we looking forward to? Are we fixing our eyes on, on, on things that are here and now or, or are, we, are we laying that down and fixing our eyes on the things that are to come? I think that a faith that leads to both victory and suffering doesn't contradict each other. I think they're very two real aspects of a true faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Ultimately, whether faith leads to victory or suffering, our mindset needs to be on the promise of Jesus Christ, always. We have to fix our eyes always on Him. You know, I mean, you know, our, our lives need to reflect that, right? I, um, I'd like to end just by praying, if I can. If you guys would bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you so much for this word. Um, God, you, you are the enabler. You help us when we don't know what to do or how to get there. And I, I pray for anybody now, God, that is struggling with believing in you and trusting in you and, and moving when you're asking them to move. God, I pray that you would just consistently comfort us, bring us to places that challenge us, and if we go through suffering, Lord, help us to, rem to remind ourselves that suffering is not a bad thing as a Christian. I pray that if, we, if any of us, even now, are going through suffering here, Lord, that they would be encouraged that they, they are in uh, good company, God, because you suffered yourself. And not only you, but your followers suffered. 
So Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to think about suffering for a Christian as a, as a good thing. That we'd be encouraged that we're actually living the life that we've been called to live. And I pray, God, if there's anybody here that doesn't even know you, anybody here that desires to know you, God, that they would, you would impress on their hearts to step forward and to begin a relationship with you.